Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Facebook debuts Portal TV and wants to make AR smart glasses to replace your smartphone. Google Fi has an unlimited plan that is every bit as unlimited as any other. The Apple Watch Series 5 reviews and autonomous vehicles come to the farm. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Facebook has been quiet on the news front lately. I feel like Last year, we were talking about Facebook basically all the time, almost every single day, for positive and negative reasons. But this summer, things have been a little quiet with them. Well, not today, because Facebook has a whole bunch of news. First up, Facebook has announced Portal TV, a TV accessory for video calling, streaming, AR gaming, and basically watching along with others while you watch TV. The new device is $149 and ships November 5th. And basically, if you want to imagine it, imagine a camera that you just clip onto your TV. Quote, it has an integrated stand for placing the gadget on your TV console, but that stand also squeezes onto a front wing to let it clip onto both wide and extremely thin new flat screen televisions. With just an HDMI connection, it brings a 12.5 megapixel, 120 degree camera and eight mic array to any tube. It also ships with a stubby remote control for basic browsing without having to shout across the room. Portal TV includes an integrated smart speaker that can be used even when the TV is off or on a different input and offers HDMI CEC for control through other remotes. The built-in camera cover gives users peace of mind, and a switch conjures a red light to signal that all sensors are disabled. Overall, control responsiveness felt a tad sluggish, but passable, end quote. Facebook also updated the Portal line itself. There's a new Portal Mini, which has a smaller footprint than the original Portal, and the really good price of $129. Also, there's a second-gen 10-inch Portal, which still clocks in at $179. Quoting The Verge, both devices can be oriented in standard picture frame style portrait mode or horizontally in landscape mode, but neither swivels like the Portal Plus, the largest device in the lineup released last year for $349. You'll have to manually rotate these new smart displays, as was the case with last year's standard Portal. The new Portal screens will begin shipping October 15th, end quote. All of the new portals have picture-in-picture, so you can watch Facebook Watch videos together. The devices are getting WhatsApp support for calls and video chat, encrypted calls and video chat, of course. And by the by, there is, as mentioned on the Portal TV on these new portals, a physical switch that will shut off access to the camera and the microphones, so you can ensure privacy at the hardware level. That, of course, did nothing to stem the deluge of... Hell no, not in my home, snark on Twitter. As I think I said last year, though, when Portal itself first debuted, 
This actually is the ideal Facebook hardware product. To quote Facebook's Andrew Bosworth, who demoed the device for reporters, this product is the core essence of what Facebook does, end quote. And quoting one of those reporters who was at the launch event, Josh Constein, quote, the true potential of Portal's Portal TV, just hanging out. Like Fortnite, video co-watching on the couch gives us an excuse to be together apart. The clip-on camera might be unique enough to offset the creepiness, end quote. Yes, connecting people is what Facebook does best. It's a shame about all that lack of trust people have in Facebook. And sources to various outlets are reporting that Facebook is moving ahead with plans to roll out their own line of AR smart glasses and have even partnered with Luxottica to launch these devices sometime in the 2023-2025 timeframe. Quoting CNBC, Facebook has been working to develop augmented reality glasses out of its Facebook Reality Labs in Redmond, Washington, for the past couple of years, but struggles with the development of the project have led the company to seek help. Now Facebook is hoping a partnership with Ray-Ban parent company Luxottica will get them completed and ready for consumers between 2023 and 2025, according to people familiar. The glasses are internally codenamed Orion, and they are designed to replace smartphones, the people said. The glasses would allow users to take calls, show information to users in a small display, and live stream their vantage point to their social media friends and followers. Facebook is also developing an artificial intelligence voice assistant that would serve as a user input for the glasses, CNBC previously reported. In addition, the company has experimented with a ring device that would allow users to input information via motion sensor. That device is codenamed Agios, end quote. So the snarky take here would be to say, well, of course, Facebook copies everything Snapchat does, right? So why not copy Snapchat spectacles, too? Except that's too cute by a little bit because everyone is rumored to be working on some form of AR headgear. There's the rumored Apple AR work. And of course, how many years ago did Google first take a stab at Google Glass? Silicon Valley thinks some form of AR as a platform is inevitable, even to the point of maybe being the heir to the smartphone. So watch this space. And back to the TV for a second. Maybe you're afraid to put that portal TV in your living room because Facebook, right? Well, guess what? Facebook is probably already in your living room. According to researchers, many streaming TV dongles and smart TVs themselves, including those made by Amazon, Roku, Samsung, and LG, are sending user data to firms such as Netflix and, yes, Facebook. Quoting the Financial Times, Amazon is contacted by almost half the devices in our tests, which stands out because this means Amazon can infer a lot of information about what you're doing with different devices in your home, including those they don't manufacture, said David Chofneys, computer scientist at Northeastern University and one of the paper's authors. They can also have a lot of visibility into what their competitors are doing, end quote. By analyzing network traffic, the Northeastern team concluded that third parties receive at the very least information about the device people are using, their locations, and possibly even when they are interacting with it. Quote, so they might know when you're home and when you're not, said Professor Chofneys. Because much of the data being sent out by device manufacturers was encrypted, the academics were not aware of exactly what additional data 
were being transmitted. Quote, they can definitely see some viewing is taking place, but what they can exactly see depends on what the manufacturer is sending, which we have not made an attempt to re-engineer, said Hamed Hadadi, computer scientist at Imperial College and another paper author, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Shout out to Crunch Labs for sponsoring today's episode. Crunch Labs is a very small team of fun-loving design folks and engineering nerds led by Mark Rober, head engineered and former NASA engineer. You have kids? Just ask them who Mark Rober is. They know. Trust me, YouTube science superstar. Crunch Labs has BuildBox, a STEM subscription build-it-yourself box for kids. My boy Max is a subscriber, and I'm telling you, he rips these boxes open and gets to building right away. This summer, Crunch Labs is hosting Camp Crunch Labs, where kids get 12 build-it-yourself toys with one shipped every week. Plus, access to exclusive Mark Rober videos and weekly challenges that help grow kids' brains all summer long. Camp Crunch Labs has weekly challenges that kids get super excited about and fosters their creative thinking. Last year, more than a million people tuned in each week to watch camp and try their luck at the challenges. Worried about your kids' brains turning to mush over the summer? Sign up to Camp Crunch Labs and turn them into little robot-building mad scientists like Max. Right now, you can purchase a limited Camp Crunch Labs subscription and get two boxes free, a $60 value. Just go to crunchlabs.com ride to sign your kids' up for Camp Crunch Labs today. That's crunchlabs.com slash ride. Google Fi, Alphabet's MVNO cell service, has a new service tier, an unlimited plan for $70 a month for a single line or $60 a piece for two lines or $50 a piece a month for three lines or even six lines for $45 each each month. You get unlimited voice and data. But of course, when it comes to cell plans, unlimited never means unlimited. Google, quote, may optimize video at 480p and will throttle data for any user that uses more than 22 gigabytes a month in data. Of course, you do have the option of paying an extra $10 per gigabyte over 22 gigabytes a month for unthrottled data. But remember that data, in theory, was unlimited as it says in the name of the data plan. Anyway, quoting The Verge, 
Though that sounds complicated, it's conceptually easier, at least in the U.S., than Google Fi's previous plan, which is still sticking around but is now called Flex. Under that plan, it is $20 for the phone line, $15 for each additional line, and $10 per gigabyte for any and all data used. For a lot of customers, it could end up being much cheaper than other plans, though heavy data users could sometimes run into higher costs. Still, Google capped data costs at $60 per month. The Flex plan is actually a really great deal for certain customers, but it means that their bill could have wild swings from month to month depending on data usage. Google wanted something conceptually easier for U.S. customers, the ones who have been seeing every other carrier offer unlimited plans. Both the unlimited and Flex plans will allow customers to order free data-only SIM cards that draw from the same data buckets with no additional monthly charge. Most other U.S. carriers charge a monthly fee for adding such devices, which makes Google Fi one of the best choices for people who love using LTE-enabled versions of gadgets, end quote. Dieter Bone says that all of this adds up to make Google Fi one of the better deals in wireless, at least for U.S. consumers, as long as you can make your peace with what unlimited really means. Don't often get to do laptop reviews because there are so many laptops, but I still have an ideal laptop in my mind. As thin and light as possible, but also super powerful and packed to the gills with everything. The new 13-inch EliteBook Dragonfly from HP might be getting close to that personal ideal of mine. The EliteBook Dragonfly has got an Intel Core V Pro processor, 2 terabytes of storage, and 16 gigabytes of RAM, all in a 2.2-pound package. Available October 25th, starting at $1,549. Quoting Sherilyn Lowe in Engadget. It's all the more impressive that the Dragonfly is so light, given all of the features it offers. HP promises up to 16.5 hours of battery life, although the company is also offering a longer-lasting model, up to 24.5 hours, that's slightly heavier. Your runtime will likely vary depending on the type of display you opt for. There's a full HD low-powered panel that runs at 400 nits, a UHD screen with HDR400 that gets as bright as 550 nits, and a version of the full HD display with HP's SureView Privacy Shield built in. That one goes up to 1,000 nits. Whichever of these you pick, it'll be flanked by bezels as thin as 4.75 millimeters on the sides, while the top bezel is 10.25 millimeters. That gives it a screen-to-body ratio of 86% if you care about those numbers. Hidden in the top bezel is a Windows Hello-capable webcam, which is something even the Dell XPS 15 doesn't offer. Most other PCs do too, though they don't have similar thin bezels. I like that the Dragonfly has a mechanical shutter built in so you can slide it over the webcam for privacy. It's also nice to see a generous array of ports in a device this thin. The Dragonfly manages to squeeze in two USB-C with Thunderbolt 3, a full-sized HDMI, one USB-A, and a headphone jack while maintaining a 0.63-inch profile, end quote. Oh, and did I mention that... This bad boy is also a convertible, so you can flip it over and use it as a tablet. It's also damn sexy looking, too, if you click through for the pictures. Yeah, if I were in the Windows world, this would be a really, really tempting laptop. 
The Apple Watch Series 5 reviews came out this morning, but I'm not going to do a full review roundup of that because, well, we know the news is just the always-on screen, right? Otherwise, it's the Apple Watch with the same quality and qualities that we've come to expect. But one thing I was curious about was why the always-on screen tech wasn't possible via a software update. Why do you need to buy the Series 5 to have the always-on screen? Well, here's Dieter Bone to explain. Specifically, Apple says it can dynamically change the screen's refresh rate from as fast as 60 hertz to as slow as 1 hertz, updating just once per second. Doing that allows the screen to draw radically less power when it's in ambient mode. The technology that makes that possible is a low-temperature polycrystalline oxide, LTPO for short, display that Apple developed. The tech behind an LTPO version of an OLED screen is interesting, especially since it was first introduced in the Series 4. But it's not something you really need to understand. The screen looks identical to the Series 4. It's just as big and bright. What last year's watch lacks are the chips to control the refresh rate on that LTPO screen so it won't be able to do always-on. Specifically, the Series 5 has an ultra-low-powered display driver, efficient power management integrated circuit, and new ambient light sensor, according to Apple, end quote. And I'll let John Gruber sum up the praise for the always-on screen on the watch. Quote, Series 5's always-on display solves my biggest complaint about Apple Watch since day one. It's not perfect, but it's more than good enough. No other feature or improvement to Apple Watch to date has ever made me this happy. The watch face doesn't really stay on all the time. Instead, when on previous Apple Watch generations, the display would turn off completely. The watch face goes into a low-power mode. The display dims, but remains bright enough to be legible in most conditions. Second hands go away, and you pretty much just see the hour and minutes. Raise your wrist, and it fades into full brightness. Notifications do not appear on screen while the watch is in the low-power state. To me, the always-on display is the Apple Watch's retina display moment. Once you see it, you can't go back, end quote. Let's end today with an interesting raise. FarmWise is a startup that develops autonomous farming robots for removing weeds in farm fields. It has raised a $15.5 million Series A, which follows a $5.7 million seed round in 2017. Quote, Currently in the prototype stage, these vehicles look like giant lumbering personnel carriers or the like, but are in fact precision instruments which scan the ground for invasive weeds among the crop and carefully pluck them out. Each day, one farm-wise robot can weed crops to feed a medium-sized city of approximately 400,000 inhabitants, said FarmWise CEO Sebastian Boyer in a press release announcing the latest funding round. We are now enhancing the scale and depth of our proprietary plant detection technology to help growers with more of their processes and on more of their crops. Looking ahead, our robots will increasingly act as specialized doctors for crops, monitoring individual health and adjusting targeted interventions according to a crop's individual needs, said Boyer. So not only will these lumbering platforms delicately remove weeds, but they'll inspect for aphids and fungus and apply the necessary remedies, end quote. One question would be, how many of these big machines can FarmWise build with that amount of money. If you click through to the picture, these are big boys. Maybe more prototypes or 
crop-specific vehicles, maybe more testing. But anyway, cool. This was the sort of sci-fi future we were promised. Big, lumbering, autonomous machines doing all of the farming for us. Of course, that sort of thing was also supposed to be happening on Mars or something. But, you know, baby steps. That's all for today. Nothing extra exciting to share. I am a little bit bummed because I've caught a case of jury duty. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. Tomorrow.